Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast, where we explore popular practices, songs, and ideas in the modern church world in light of Sola Scriptura and Toto Scriptura. I'm Cody Fields, president of Westminster Effects. You can buy stuff for your guitar at westminstereffects.com. You can join the discussion in the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook. You can support the show at anchor.fm. Even a dollar a month helps. Make sure you subscribe and comment on Facebook and Instagram. And that'll get you entered to win stuff, books, maybe sweetening the pot here soon. I don't know. Share the show, all that kind of stuff. The guy who you just heard chuckle a little bit is... Hey, it's Bradley Cox, pastor at Resurrection Church in Greer, South Carolina. And we are sans uh, our sexy boat captain, Luther and John, Augsburgian Christian in Lincoln, Nebraska. But hopefully this is the last week of that. Hopefully uh, the schedule should be... Uh, how do we say more amicable to John's uh, here in the next week or two Uh, but anyway on to the main topic we've already been all over the place before we even hit record Mm -hmm. Uh, Ferenc Zindeli you still gotta tell me how to pronounce your name dude uh, asks what does it mean that God is a consuming fire and that reminded me of well obviously there's a lot of directions that you can go with this mm-hmm. but since you haven't been on facebook in so long as you just <laughs> said and you didn't see this post that i shared uh, i shared a post that said the sun will burn your eyes out from 93 million miles away yep and you expect to casually stroll into the presence of its creator yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good yeah like just kind of the enormity of God. We we often treat, you know, Jesus meek and mild. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, uh, he humbled himself, became a servant. Uh, but this is the same triune God that Isaiah ca- encountered mm-hmm. in Isaiah chapter six when he said, oh, crap, I'm dead. Mm-hmm. So how do we reckon these concepts, I guess, is kind of the question. Mm-hmm. Well, when you, I guess we could start by talking about what it means that God is holy, what it means that God is wrathful. Some people, I think, interpret the wrath of God as that God has a bad temper. Right. Like he's losing his mind, you know, because man, you know, so-and-so is doing this and -and so-and-so is doing that. And he turned green and Hulk smashed everybody. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but that's not what the wrath of God is. I mean, it, it it is a it's a function of, or it's a it's an outgrowth of His holiness that you know He He consumes. Our God is a consuming fire. He consumes what isn't holy, right? And that consumption is either a refining work or it's a judgment work, right? Mm. It's it's a you know, he chose us, Ephesians 1, he chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless before the foundation of the world. So the salvation is such a it's such a big deal. That sounds like such a weak way to say it, but it, it, <laughs> it's kind I, of a big deal. I just think we don't think about the just the depths of what it means that God would God, a God who is so holy, right? A God who is so righteous and perfect and 
powerful who creates a, a flaming ball of gas that would burn our eyes out from 93 million miles away. And that's just a small taste of who he is and what he's like. Right. Um, it, I, th- I think we don't realize how significant and huge and massive it is that he would take unholy, unrighteous, adulterous, uh, idol-worshipping people and make them holy. Yeah, as he is holy. That that I don't even know how 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 could we come up with a metaphor that even remotely touches the great chasm that that bridges. Yeah. between us and a holy God. I don't know because this holy God peels back the veil between the world as we know it and the and an eternity and isaiah sees him on his throne and falls on his face mm-hmm. john falls at jesus's feet as though he were dead mm-hmm. uh, that that's what it means that god's a consuming fire and um yeah he's not to be trifled with um i think you know i've heard someone say this one time and um i i just think it's a fantastic way to think about it about the holiness of god you know a lot of people when you ask them to define god's holiness they'll say well god is other and i think that's right he's just other he's he's in a category all by himself uh, but if you think about the angels they are the beings in the created order who are able to see both the seen and unseen world mm-hmm. They behold it all at one time. They see what we see, and they see what we don't see. And as they behold that, both and, they cry, holy. God, you are what nothing else is. Um, You are other. Um, And that is, that's that's an incredible testament to the holiness of God, which, you know, Moses could not look upon. Yeah. Uh, you know, and Isaiah could not stand. John could not stand in his presence. And that God became, took on flesh in uh, Jesus the Son. And we, you know, he, he was nothing to look at. Like, and, and yet his death and resurrection procured for us the righteousness that is necessary to not be consumed in judgment but be consumed in mercy and grace uh, to be in relationship with this holy God who's a consuming fire. I mean, that that's the best way I know how to describe it. Yeah, that's really good. I think, you know, we should probably look at that text <laughs> in Hebrews 12. Uh, if you only take verse 29, for our God is a consuming fire. Okay, congratulations. You have that phrase. Uh, But going back to 28, and this is, you know, Hebrews is about not going back to the old covenant sacrificial system. Yep. Uh, In part, I think, because the the writer or the preacher, I think you and my dad had a brief discussion about how, how it could have been uh, Paul's one of Paul's sermons that was recorded or whatever. So that was on the All Seven Days podcast. Go check mm-hmm. that out. Mm-hmm. It was a fun episode. <clears throat> uh, but partially because one, it's been fulfilled. You don't need to go there anymore. Two, because God was about to wreck shop and destroy Jerusalem mm-hmm. in the first place. It's not going to be there in the first place, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so at the end of Hebrews twelve. 
Uh, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. I think both back to Romans 12, yep, uh, with present your bodies as a living sacrifice. I also think to Nadab and Abihu in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. where they offered up strange fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, John MacArthur plug, I guess, even though he kind of went lost his mind on that conference. Uh, that's he- neither here nor there. <laughs> but but the principle of uh, offering wrong worship to God, and he killed him on the spot mm-hmm. with fire. Mm-hmm. You ha- it's just like what we've been talking about. You have uh, fire that purifies and fire that judges. Yeah, Ananias and Sapphira. I mean. Yeah, it, without it, the fire, just drop dead. Just drop dead. I mean, it it it's startling. And and I taught on this in Luke uh, recently, where <clears throat> you know Jesus tells the disciples to get in the boat, and they start across the sea. He's asleep. A storm arises. They're yes. terrified, terrified of this storm. Experienced boatsmen, and then when they wake Jesus up, and he stands up and calms the storm. They they go from being terrified of a storm to being terrified of him. Mm-hmm. They don't know what to do with him. Then he gets across the sea to the garrisons. Uh, the crazy demonized guy in the graveyard shows up. Jesus casts a legion of demons, potentially thousands of demons that had taken mm-hmm. this man over, mm-hmm. cast them out into the pigs, poor pigs. <laughs> um, and... The people of the Gerasenes, when they see this guy clothed and in his right mind, they ask Jesus to leave because they're more terrified of him right. than they were of a crazy, naked, demonized guy hanging out in a graveyard. Which was actually the right response, at least in it terms is. of fear. It is. to be to Because what they're doing, it, the word Luke uses, he only uses it like three times in his gospel. Amazed is an interesting word because it... it it, it sort of ca- encapsulates this mixture of emotions that we feel mm-hmm. when we behold God for who he is and how he's made himself known to us. It's, it's, it's awe, astonishment, reverence, fear, bewilderment. Uh, it's this, who is this guy? Who is this God mm-hmm. that he's this powerful, this holy? And they, I think the disciples and the people of the Gerasenes were getting a taste of that in the person of Jesus, who was fully human and still fully God, yep. but his godness breaks through in those moments, and they're like, who is this guy? It's fear, and it's a right response. We, we, we you know, I, I mentioned the... Um, uh, the 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 last scene I think in the 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 Chronicles of Narnia, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, when Aslan is he's leaving, uh, and and Lucy, little Lucy is is standing up on the balcony of the castle watching Aslan leave, and Tomnus, the sort of half man, half goat, I guess, mm-hmm. guy, walks over to her and says. You know, Lucy, he's not a tame lion. Not you. You won't know this reference. Not the Wampler pedal. That's a clone of the Clon Centaur, but the actual C.S. Lewis character. <laughs> yeah, sure. I don't even know what you just said. Uh, but it, he 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 says he's not a tame lion, and Lucy says, "I know, but he's good." Right. Which is 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 so beautiful, you know. And the writer of Hebrews says it so well. Let us offer accept uh, offer acceptable worship to God 
with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. You know, we we run to him. You yeah. know, Hebrews, we come to his throne boldly to obtain mercy and find grace. And yet in his presence we let our words be few. Yeah. We we yep. we re, we lift our hands in worship like a like my little girl when she was little, she's not some little anymore, was reaching making, up making me feel old. Yeah, for real. She reaches up her arms for her daddy to pick her up. We we do that same kind of thing with right. God and yet we want to fall at his feet and hide our face. Right. Because he's so great. And it's and you know, speaking of Luke and uh, it's either John 10 or John 12 that says Jesus is who Isaiah saw, right? Mm-hmm. So in Isaiah 6. So this is that same triune God that mm-hmm. is the consuming fire, uh, which leads me to believe, I don't remember who this was, uh, but it was one of the people of one of these enormous uh, NAR-affiliated uh, bands, mm-hmm. right? Said that she met Jesus one time like had a vision of actually meeting jesus and basically he said i love you this and he stretched out his hands and his arms grew (laughs) this much and uh she didn't fall down like she was dead her her response wasn't oh this is who i'm dealing with yeah my conclusion then is yeah it probably wasn't jesus if that wasn't your response (laughs) yeah I, I like what Matt Chandler says. You know, don't feather Jesus's hair. I mean, he he is. <laughs> don't turn him into like a Motley Crue or. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, he is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Yes. He is. You know, he did let the disciples touch him, uh, and he ate fish with them um, after his resurrection, and yet they're blown away. Yeah by him regularly they are blown away by him i i think i you know honestly i think jesus during the days of his incarnation was incredibly winsome right but he was also astonishing yes in the sense that he he blew people's minds on the regular including the disciples yep um and a lot of that taste of the consuming fire, right, of his godness came through in his teaching. It came through in the the ways in which he challenged the Pharisees. Uh, it came through in his transfiguration, I think. It came through mm-hmm. in the calming of the storm. Uh, yep. It came through in the yep. casting out of demons. Uh, it came through when, you know, he, uh, you know, looks at a rich young man and says, go sell all you have and give it away to the poor. Um, and that, that was I personal opinion. The gospels say, and Jesus looking at him loved him. Mm-hmm. I don't think Jesus loses anybody he loves. Mm. I think that man converted at some point. I can't prove it, granted, speculation, right. but I think that man converted at some point. But he got a taste of the consuming fire because what Jesus put his finger on was your wealth is standing in the way. Yeah of the life I have for you. I've totally kept the commands, and Jesus says, you haven't kept the first one. <laughs> that's right. That's exactly right. But but the way he did it, and it, that's, you look through Scripture all the way through, and there's so many different ways that God addresses certain sins, where with Jesus, he's he's he loves the guy, 
and says, you haven't done the first one. And then I think of something like Ezekiel 27, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is just so graphic. Yeah. Where, where God's making all kinds of genitalia references to describe how much Israel's hoard itself out. Yep. Um, where you get the consuming on that side too, mm-hmm. where it's, that's so heavy. It's very uh, heavy. But at the same time, you can be just as heavy and be winsome. I, I think so. And th- and that shows, I think, the wisdom of God and how he addresses us. Like Calvin would say that God baby talks to us. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but whether he's being how we would perceive as harsh or winsome, he knows exactly how to communicate exactly what he wants to communicate. Yeah. If you want to, if you want to get like what you're talking about is so, so right on. And I think if you want to really meditate on that, in scripture that 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 you know that winsome nature of god that compels us to to worship him with overflowing affection and adoration and yet at the same time fear and reverence yeah read the book of habakkuk go to your old testament read that little three chapter book <clears throat> habakkuk complains to god because of the injustice uh, that he sees when he looks around at Israel, uh, the people of the law have paralyzed the law of God, and and there's violence and destruction and injustice everywhere. <clears throat> and Habakkuk basically says to God, "You're not doing a darn thing about it." Mm-hmm. Uh, and God says, "No, I am doing something about it, Habakkuk. And if I told you what I was doing, you wouldn't believe me if I told you." And then he tells him, despite that Habakkuk's not going to believe it. I'm raising up the Chaldeans, better known as the Babylonians, and they're going to judge my people. They're going to take them captive. And Habakkuk's like, God, you can't do that. That's not who you are. <laughs> and Habakkuk, or God basically says back to him, uh, Hab, that's exactly who I am. Yeah. And I'll judge my people, and I'll judge the Babylonians or the Chaldeans even more harshly, even though I'm using them to judge my people. Yeah. I'm raising them up for that. And Habakkuk's like, I just don't get this. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go sit in my watchtower and wait till God explains all this to me. And <laughs> before you know it, Habakkuk's praying and he's rehearsing the history of Israel. And he remembers. He remembers the God who brought the plagues on Egypt. Mm-hmm. He remembers the God who uh, marched through the walls of Jericho. Uh, he remembers the God who caused the sun to stand still. And when he remembers all of that, that's when he starts talking about, in this God's presence, my bones rot. (laughs) My lips quiver and I tremble. And then it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Right at the end, he goes, but yet in the same God who makes my bones rot and my legs tremble, my lips quiver, I rejoice in the God of my salvation. It's like this this beautiful harmony of fear and utter dependence and abandonment wholly given over to this God. It's like when Jesus turns to the crowd and says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part of me. It's almost like a really happy or a song that has really happy lyrics and a minor key. It's exactly right. That's a great way to describe it. And and many followed Jesus no more when he said that. And then he looks at the disciples. You going to go too? Well, yeah. No. Where else are we going to go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. There is a 
there there is there is a pause that we have there's a there's a a humility and a what is man that you're mindful of him yeah we 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 i think you know we've certainly emphasized the the winsome loving merciful um intimate relational um aspect of our communion with the living god we certainly emphasize that a great deal yeah but i think what what, what's been lost in a lot of ways in in, at least in our part of the world for the christian is the fear of god and um living in hebrews 12 or habakkuk or isaiah uh or revelation will help you help you recapture that yeah good stuff let's move on to the inquisition Inquisition, where you directly contribute to the show by asking us questions and we answer them on the fly, as is tradition. We start with Brian Morris, who asks a honestly a, a really funny question. Yeah, he says, I, "I'm pretty sure you said you weren't going to penalize any more living guys, uh, and, and that is correct. I have the Piper Drive, that was one of my flagships, and the Osteen Distortion, which is still one of my best sellers." Uh, he said, "But if you were." To make a Doug Wilson pedal, what would it be? Oh my goodness. <laughs> and I actually had to think about this one, and I think it would probably be a phase shifter. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Uh, so it's it's kind of a swirly effect. Okay. Uh, Van Halen used phaser oh, yeah, okay, a lot. Okay. Um, phaser because Doug Wilson is uh, who converted me to being a partial preterist on the book of Revelation which got me into the post-mill phase, so there's your pun. Hmm. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Dustin Beeman asks, what does the phrase making the gospel more offensive than it needs to be mean, and how can we tell when someone is doing that? Uh, which I, I really think kind of goes hand in hand with our main topic of God being a consuming fire. You've got the, the purifying and the judging. Hmm. The gospel is offensive, but at the same time, there is a way to make it so that not to make it unpalatable to the unbeliever because it already is, but to be unnecessarily nasty about it is is the way I think about it. Hmm. Well, <clears throat> I, don't, I don't, I can't say that I've really heard somebody say that. Um, I think I may have heard it once or twice, maybe. It, to me, it feels like a bit of a paradoxical statement because you know i am I'm, I'm just i've made it clear on this podcast i i am I, I am a huge proponent of teaching expositionally yep um that what our goal as you know it's it, it's interesting because being people of the word you know, an elder pastor teacher in a church is obviously supposed to be a man of the word. Right. Right. That's, that's, that's the ministry I'm called to. What's interesting is the whole church is called to be people of the word. Yes. Acts 17, the, the, um, the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians because when Paul preached, they searched the scriptures for themselves mm, yep. to see if these things were so. So, we're all called to be people of the book, which means our teaching, 
I don't want to go too far down a long journey here, but our teaching, our small group leading, our Bible studies that we do together with you know another friend at a coffee shop or whatever, all of that should be done in such a way that it's accessible. That we're mm-hmm. we're 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 holding the truth of God's word out in front of a, a person or a group of people, saying, "Look, do you see yep. what it says?" And I think if you're being attentive. Yep. to the inspired text, if you're being intentional, uh, paying attention to the details uh, of what's there, examining carefully what was inspired and what was written, I don't think you're going to make the gospel any more or less offensive than it's supposed to be. Yeah. I, yeah. Think, if, I think where we get off track is when we start taking people's opinions uh, we start taking um, commentary and um, you know, uh, the philosophies and ideas and thoughts of men that might have maybe been prompted by things that are written mm-hmm. in sacred scripture, but aren't necessarily in line with the heart of it. That's where we come off the rails every time. Yes. Making the gospel less offensive than it's supposed right. to be or making it more offensive. Right. There are times when scripture should offend you. Yes. Uh, case in point for me, like with Romans 13, we've had this conversation. Mm-hmm. I, I want to be just by nature, I want to be like the most libertarian person on the planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, like even going so far, I want want to be an anarcho-capitalist. Mm-hmm. And scripture won't let me, dadgummit. Right, right. God has established the governing authorities. Right. And and I don't remember who it was, but someone has said that government is a gift to God's people to restrain evil. Exactly. Uh, obviously, Romans 13 talks about the government bearing the sword and stuff like that. I don't remember who said that government is a gift. Uh, and I don't like that. <laughs> yeah. And it offends me when I read Romans 13. And that's a good thing. That is a good thing. Is it... We have objective truth in front of us, and and if if we are, I use the term wrestle all the time because I think that if 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 reading scripture is not at least some of the time a bit of a wrestling match, you know, Martin Luther said, "I beat on texts until they yield their water." You know, yep. if if you're not if you're not meditating and stewing and wrestling in scripture, then you're probably not reading attentively. And I think if you're reading attentively. There, there are the banks of the river, so to speak, where it's it's going to keep you right down the middle on the bullseye of just how offensive it's supposed to be, and how offensive it's not supposed to be. Uh, so I would I would rather than say talking about attitudes and and you know cultural norms and um, flourish that tends to get added to preaching, teaching, and all that kind of stuff. Yep. I would say let's just be attentive to the scriptures, and we'll. We'll throw it right down the middle. Yeah. Ooh, right down the middle. I like I like the baseball reference. Uh, last question, Ryan Eigel, and I think there's a couple different approaches that we could take to this. Uh, should we approach Lord's Day worship as the most dangerous time of a Christian's week? <clears throat> most dangerous? I think you could take that one, uh, being dangerous for the Christian, uh, in terms of spiritual warfare, uh, distractions, okay. things like that. I think you could also take it in the sense of being dangerous for uh, the Christian and his unbelief 
where you know worship is warfare we make war on unbelief and things like that and so it could be dangerous in the sense that we're being equipped to go out and be the church militant right mm, mm. Uh, the church actually <clears throat> as we say it in, in res at res the church scattered mm. and when we scatter we go out on mission mm-hmm. and so we are being strategically and tactically equipped mm-hmm. to go make war effectively uh, not we're not being militaristic <laughs> We're not teaching people from the pulpit how to clean an AR. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, we, we don't uh, have ushers with night vision goggles and stuff like that. Uh, we're talking spiritual type of warfare, which really, for most people, is simply resisting temptation and spreading the gospel somehow. Yeah, I, I, I certainly, uh, I, I, don't, I think I would probably word the question differently, but I, I, if that's what it's about, I would say yes. Yeah, I would say I would certainly want us to err on the side of wartime urgency, not yeah. not wartime violence or or militant kind of thing in the sense that we're you know taking up arms, but going out missionally, mm-hmm. you know, intentionally missional, uh, having a sense of wartime urgency about you know Piper uses that. That all little phrase all the time to t- to to talk about how Christians should think about how they steward their money, yep. How they how they think about material things and comfort and ease and luxury and you know is that we maintain maintain a sense of wartime vigilance of, about everything to do with how we live, yeah. Uh, even how we think about retirement. Mm-hmm. Uh, if if it, it that kind of I think it's biblical thinking really would would stand the typical notion of retirement on its head is that, oh, now I get to relax. No, I've only got a little bit of time left. I need to maximize it in, in whatever way that I can. Joe Boot, uh, has he's, he's a post-mill guy in Canada. I think I've told you about him with the super proper British accent. It's just so intimidating. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he talks about how uh, in the U.S., or, or really in the West, we think about work-life balance uh, mm-hmm. or work and play when the scriptural pattern is work-rest balance, mm-hmm. right? Where mm-hmm. you know we rest on the Lord's Day in Jesus. We, yep. we rest in Jesus all the time, but we mm-hmm. specifically set apart that time on Sunday to specifically rest in Him and be fed. Yep. And then we use that feeding to go out and do the thing mm-hmm. um, where, you know, so many Christians I, that I encounter that are beat down and tired and whatever, well, they're usually the ones who haven't been in church very much recently. Yeah. Uh, they're not, you know, and that's even before uh, reading your Bible every day or anything like that. You know, let mm-hmm. the word of Christ dwell on you richly and, you know, pray without ceasing. Those are all important. But, there's not a specific pattern of here's how often you need to read your Bible. Mm. You do have a pattern in scripture of this is how often you get together with the body. Yeah. As far as I can tell. I, I agree. And I, I, you know, <laughs> it's kind of funny. I, somebody left res recently, um, an older couple because they found a church where they were experiencing more social, interaction that met their preferences mm-hmm. and when i found out about it i i was a, a bit disappointed and frustrated um you know this is somebody that hasn't really been here a whole lot since COVID, anyway but mm-hmm. um it 
it it we res lives exists in the bible belt where there's a church on every corner so to speak and and not so to speak that's literally true um <laughs> and people treat the church gathered as like it's just the restaurant that we go to on sunday mornings right and that's where we go and then if we get tired of that and we want something different we'll go to another one and i think that's sad and tragic to me i'm not saying it's wicked to go to a church where you're finding more social interaction and community that's not wicked in and of itself right but i would rather i think the bible i shouldn't say rather i think the bible leads us to think more urgently about we gather to worship to grow to be equipped so that we can scatter into our world and make much of jesus with a wartime sense of urgency yeah um and i you 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 and i were talking on the uh before we hit record on the podcast something i've been stewing on is that the the parable of the talents jesus when he tells that to one he gave five to one he gave two to one he gave one and i think but we might have to put like a a a trigger warning for some people for how you're where you're about to go with this maybe i don't know lay it on them well this is what i've been thinking about (laughs) And you guys can you guys can hash it out in the lounge if you want, but typically, an American Christian who would read that parable would think, "Oh, I, we've been given five, right? We, we're in America for crying out loud. This is God's country. Look at how much I have in my bank account and my iPhone and right. We, to whom much is given, much is required. So we've been given much. We've got prosperity. We've got religious freedom. We've got safety and comfort and ease and." All of those things we've been given five, and I've I've just started to think, wonder if really have we? I wonder if we haven't been given one, mm-hmm. because when you consider the blessings and woes that Jesus gave in Luke's gospel, um, it blessed are the poor, the enviable life in terms of the kingdom is poverty. Yep, you have Woe, less to worry about. You have less to worry about. Woe to you if you're rich. Yep. Blessed yep. are you if you are mourning. Mm-hmm. Woe to you if you're laughing. And then you you take that and consider the apostles who who rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. You know, suffering. Mary and I were just reading this morning the persecution that hit uh, on in in the wake of Stephen stoning, and how it scattered the church. And there was. That, that scattering was strategic and purposeful and that Philip ended up in Samaria, Peter and John come down there and, oh, yep, the Spirit's being poured out here too. Uh, and, and, and God just moves this church forward strategically with a, a wartime sense of urgency and, and missional intentionality that I think in America we largely don't have. I wonder if we've just been given one talent. <laughs> and the question for us is not, oh, are we – to whom much is given, much is required. I don't think much has been required of us. I think we've got one, and will we bury it in the sand, or will we invest it and use it and 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 live with at least some sense of urgent, dangerous, missional, adventurous, uh, you know, building up of the kingdom of God, making much of Christ in our world. It, it, to me, I almost wonder if we need to stand um, our American hubris on its head and let the Bible do that for us, because I don't, I don't think we think about this well. Yeah, we really don't. We we think 
we really do think way too highly of ourselves. Like, yes, we have more books published and we have more of the big name preachers, whatever that means. Right. But at the same time, you know, are we thinking really that well? And, yeah. and in some sectors, absolutely thinking really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the bulk, probably not. I mean, there's certain Christian uh, media outlets, art, movies, books, whatever, they have a bad name for a good reason. Mm-hmm. And that's because we've dropped the ball so often on that, which which is one of the uh, efforts that we're trying to make with Westminster Worship, yep. is to think better about how we make music, yeah. how we think about worship in song, mm-hmm. and to build build out from there. Yeah, I mean, you know, the Bible talks about. I, I don't. I don't think that we should be masochists. You know, going around looking for suffering, but the Bible does couch suffering as a gift. Um, a, a, a thing through which God works good, yep, and it's never wasted. And and I just don't think we've been entrusted with very much of that. And and thus, we don't have a heightened sense of urgency. Uh, we don't see Sunday morning as strategically essential mm-hmm. for our participation with Jesus in His kingdom agenda. Yeah, and so I I don't know. I would just say yes, we should think of it. Uh, as dangerous we should think of it as urgent you know when you go when you gather with other believers on sunday morning um i would much rather you think about um how this is equipping you for the dangerous unsafe mission of kingdom advancement um then i would rather than for you to think about it in terms of uh, oh, this, this this is my this is my church where I simply go to uh, do my Sunday morning thing, and <laughs> as long as it continues to meet my preferences, I'll be here. If not, I'll go to the church down the street. Yeah, if, if it doesn't give me the warm fuzzies that I want every Sunday, exactly. Uh, which I mean, mm, that could be another episode. We probably need to just leave it there before I get on the soapbox. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.